Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It is Saturday, which means it's time for the Front Free Bonus Podcast. I'm Adam Boward, alongside the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Hello. And we are here, guys, with the man, the myth, the legend, that is Rory Jennings. Rory, welcome. Thank you. It's, it's an honour to be on. Oh, it's nice to have you, Rory. Um, the first, also the first guest. guest. Yeah. yeah, the first guest on one of our, our bonus podcasts. What we're going to do, guys, is, is talk to people we like friends of ours people we admire people we respect we want to kind of delve into why they're a football fan delve into the history of their clubs uh, and how the beautiful game touches them um, of course Rory you are a Chelsea fan I mean let's start at the beginning I mean how did you become a Chelsea fan what's the story there uh, it's a it's a really boring story I'm afraid it's, it's, it's nice. it was in, it was inherited it was I had absolutely no choice in the matter it was something that was passed down to me uh, I was taken to a Chelsea my first Chelsea game when I was four and that was that, really. A love affair was born. A love affair was born. Did you not ever think about, you know, maybe supporting a, a different team? It's, it was non-negotiable, was it? It was, it was completely non-negotiable. I'm, I'm from North London, so in my family there are some Arsenal fans and they, they often would try and woo me. But uh, my, my side of the family were having none of it. It was Chelsea or it was Chelsea or, or nothing. And of course, you know, we, we all know what uh, the modern Chelsea... Are and you know there's all the the jokes about there's no history before 2003 but I mean what was it like to be a Chelsea fan before Roman Abramovich because there was there is history there yeah of course I mean I think that the majority of people who who try that you know kind of founded in 2003 thing they know what they're doing you know it's it's a wind up I think that everybody who follows football knows full well that Chelsea have a rich history and the period I would say my most glorious period following Chelsea. A lot of people would think it would be Mourinho's first season. You know, I think we, we accrued 95 points, which was a record. We won our first league for 50 years. It was huge. But that actually isn't the, the period of football that I look back on with the most amount of, say, romanticism. For me, it's a period It's a period in the mid to late 90s when Chelsea were just glamorous again. We had, a, we had an incredible team. We won the FA Cup in 97. Uh, we were... We, there was some glamour back on the King's Road and that is a period we had some wonderful football players you know Gianluca Vialli was playing for Chelsea um, Roberto Di Matteo was playing for Chelsea Dan Petrescu was playing for Chelsea in amongst all that you had you had the players who were there for, for longer than that you know you had John Spencer and Dennis Wise and there was just a, a moment 
where it was a perfect mix of everything that was great about old football and everything that's great about modern football were combined. It was quite an exclusive era, wasn't it? It was very... I don't... Do you think Chelsea could do that now? <laughs> in, t- in terms of... Just in terms of... I mean, it seems it seems like so 90s, that combination of those two things. Yes, I think, I think football's moved on from that, sadly. I think, you know, I think that a lot of what happened... Uh, with the with the Premier League revolution and the amount of money that came into the game, it changed it. But for for a small period, there was a you know, Rude Hoddit became Chelsea's player manager, and he was playing alongside Terry Phelan. There was this moment of old football, yeah. new football, you know, working together, and it coincided with Chelsea having this glorious moment of you know winning a League Cup, winning an FA Cup, winning a, a Cup Winners Cup, winning a Super Cup, beating Real Madrid in nineteen ninety eight in Monaco. Those things all came together, and it really, it really was great. You know, I'm not, not for one second, am I, am I not saying that I've thoroughly enjoyed this Roman Abramovich era and the Mourinho periods of, you know, over a decade ago now mm. were incredible. Some of the most wonderful words I've, I've ever seen. But maybe just through being nostalgic, there was, um, there was a few, there were a few years pre Abramovich, the late, mid to late nineties when Chelsea Football Club was just incredible. You know, we we really were brilliant. We we beat we could have won a league actually. We could have won a league in ninety nine, the year that United won the treble. We beat that United treble winning team five nil. Um and it just all went a bit wrong. I think it was actually it was Leicester. I'll never forgive Leicester and Steve Guppy. <laughs> it was Steve Guppy on the left wing ruining our dreams. But there was a chance Steve Guppy. Yeah. That's so um, but yeah that was that was the era that's the era that I look back on most romantically, you know, the big kit, the, the big collared kits, the ridiculous coloured kits. Dennis Wise playing alongside uh, Rude Hullet. It was just a, it was just a wonderful period. Yeah. Chelsea had they had three player managers in a row as well. You had Hoddle, uh, Hullet, and Gianluca Vialli as player yeah. manager. Well, well, it all started with Hoddle. What Hoddle did for Chelsea Football Club will be forever. You know, we are forever in his debt. Um, he came in, and obviously because of the man that he was, and because of the way that he played football, he was a man ahead of his time on the ball. He could woo players like Mark Hughes and and uh, Ruud Hullet. And suddenly, suddenly we went from watching watching a team who were full of fight and and tenacity and a, and a very good team, but we went from being a team that were sort of a, a, an okay cup side maybe mm. to a team that could realistically win the league and were probably the most glamorous side in the league at the time. Mm. I mean. Chelsea won uh, a fair amount, as you said, Rory, under Gianluca Vialli as well. Uh, the FA Cup, League Cup, Charity Shield, and as you said, the, the UEFA Cup Winners' Cup as well. Not enough player managers these days. Um, no, no. I think it's, it, I think it's, it's a dead start, breed, isn't it? It is dead. Edgar Davids did a few years ago for a barnet. That didn't really work out that well. I'd love to see a player manager. Um, Sean Deitch. Yeah. Well, he can get on the pitch now. Just lace yeah. up. He's really yeah, he I reckon um, Eddie Howe could have a game. Eddie Howe, Eddie Howe probably could have a game. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That guy. Uh, there's obviously the big story at the moment is Nagelsmann, Julian Nagelsmann, who's the uh, the manager over at Hoffenheim. He's 29 years old, but um, I think he's, right. uh, he's he's not going to be able to, to get on the pitch anytime soon. Anyway, um, obviously talking about Chelsea, Rory, as you, you talk about there, the Abramovich era, I mean, as it started, it was all about Jose Mourinho, man. What was your sort of thoughts and feelings at the time about this this manager coming in from Porto? I mean, was it excitement? Was it uh, nervousness? Yeah, well, it was 
it was the most. It was so, such an exciting era. I think the Abramovich coming into Chelsea took the whole of the league by storm. Nobody knew what to expect. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Until that point, Chelsea hadn't won a league. You know, this is going back to the thing where we say Chelsea had no history. We won a league fifty years previously, so there is, you know, there is a rich history there. But we hadn't won a league for fifty years. Nobody took us seriously at winning a league. It was never a possibility. And Abramovich came in, and all of a sudden, we became this team who, you know, we became a club that was signing some of the most sought-after players in world football. You know, players, we signed Juan, Juan Sebastian Verón, we signed Joe Cole, we signed anybody who was who was exciting. We, they became, they were on our radar. And yeah. it was, you know, we were, we were beating sides to players. Sides, Manchester United and Arsenal were forever, you know, signing the best players and had first dibs on anybody. That suddenly all changed. And we then went into that year where... Our, Arsenal were Arsenal were an incredible team, and throughout my entire youth, were a thorn in my side. I, I mentioned previously that my I have a lot of family who are Arsenal fans. Chelsea couldn't beat Arsenal. It really was a thing. No matter what we did, no matter how well we played, we could be two 0 up with uh, ten minutes to go, and we'd give in. We could be two 0 up with fifteen minutes to go, and Carnu would score a hat trick, including a goal from a corner flag. We could be one 0 up at Highbury, and Cudicini would let one through his legs for Henri to tap in. There was we could never beat Arsenal. All of a sudden, we're playing Arsenal in Europe's premier competition. We're playing Arsenal in the Champions League. They, this is the uh, invincible Arsenal. We knocked them out of it. We, we beat Arsenal at the, at the zenith of their game. It was the most wonderful Arsenal team. You know that. You know the side. It was the Burkham, Bomri, yeah. uh, Vieira, Lundberg, Pires. It was, it was just the, uh, uh, you know, the, the zenith of football. It was the best team that, that the Premier League, arguably the best team that the Premier League had ever seen up until that point. And we beat them in, we beat them in Europe. I, I, I would go so far as saying, actually, that, that result was a Wayne Bridge goal at Highbury, the old Highbury, and I was there and it was just incredible. And I think that that goal actually set the time for everything. We then went on, and on, in true Claudio Ranieri fashion, at least in his Chelsea days, we went on and messed it up. We went on and played Monaco. We played Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank, right back, and it all went wrong. Uh, Morientes actually killed us. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it all went, it all went a bit wrong. And, but it meant that Arsenal didn't get to the final. I'm convinced Arsenal would have beaten Mourinho's Porto had they got to the final. Wow. And... As a result, Mourinho won the Champions League and became Chelsea manager. So it all came down to that that moment where we beat Arsenal. <laughs> it was uh, that first season. I mean, as you said, it was the first league title in 50 years, but it was an incredible season. I mean, they set a number of records, fewest goals conceded in the Premier League, the most clean sheets, the most wins in a season. And as you're saying, the, the squad that they assembled, I mean, bringing in the likes of Didier Drogba, who obviously became a legend. Uh, Ricardo Carvalho is obviously a, an important player from uh, Mourinho's former club, Porto. I mean, the squad they assembled in that first season was sensational, wasn't it? It really was sensational. Do you know what I think is a really interesting debate? That season, we only lost one game. We went away to Manchester City. This is obviously pre-Manchester City's brilliance. And and lost. It was Nicholas Anelko who scored a penalty to them. and we It was the only game we lost all season. But that in that year, we managed to accrue 95 points, which is still a record, which is obviously far more points than the, the great Arsenal team that I was just talking about or the great Manchester United team that won the treble. It'd be very interesting to know what people think was the best... Like in, for me, the team that accrues the most amount of points is probably the best team in the league. But you know, you can make a valiant case for it being the team that goes undefeated in the league, or you can make a, a, a valiant case for it being the team. With but for me, it's a team that you know, ninety-five points. And also, I mean, I know this is pretty incidental, but it was ninety-five points 
we'd won the league with four games to go. We didn't, we didn't win a game. We didn't win a game for the last three games. So <laughs> it was nine, it was 95 points. It, I think it was, at, I think we were at 93 with three games to go. You know, we, we had, had we wanted it, had we needed it, had anybody been pressing us, we had it in us to get a hundred points. Like for me, a great Premier League team is like a really solid Premier League team is the 90 point barrier. I think if you're, you know, if you're winning the league with anything sub 90, you're, you're worthy champions, of course, but you're not, you're not special. 90 for me is a, is a benchmark. Wow. We, we, we had a hundred. And that team, that, that, that year that we won the first league that we'd won for 50 years, you know, Drogba pinging in goals. We had Paolo Ferreira right back. It was just mm. brilliant. Had a hundred points in it. And then, and then the next season, this is a, in the next season we did it all again. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't no, part of it though, wasn't it? Was he, do, do you think that the reason that people don't remember that side particularly fondly is because they didn't particularly like that team? I think I think there is an element of that. Of course, I think that there is a perception and 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 of course a semblance of truth to the statement Chelsea bought the league. There is a semblance of truth. I think it's far more complex than that. And I think that we've seen countless examples since that buying the league doesn't work. Simply buying the league doesn't work. You know, Leicester won the league last year and didn't spend any money. You know, it's, it's far more difficult than simply buying the league. Um, but I think that the fact that Chelsea injected so much money into their side in such a small space of time rubbed a few people up the wrong way and they don't look and also I think this is another fallacy people look at that team and they don't see it as being an expansive football side they don't see it as being an exciting sure. you know they, they when you think about some wonderful goals that Burkham scored they look back on that more fondly than they do say what Chelsea were doing yeah that is Which, unusual, again, isn't it? I think it's a myth because some of the most beautiful football that I've ever seen played was Drogba leading the line on Arjun Robin on one wing, Damien Duff on the other wing, and you know Frank Lampard and Joe Cole doing their bits in the middle, coming through with Claude McAlealy protecting everything. That really was, you know, some of the goals scored in that period were were wonderful. And I just think that because of Mourinho's functioning, uh, you know, approach to the game, there were times when we got two nil up after fifteen minutes, and nothing else would happen in the game. Like that was that would be it. And I think that people kind of look back. That and they don't necessarily give it the respect that it deserves. Was that the the peak for Chelsea under uh, Roman Abramovich for you, Roy? Because obviously they won those back to back titles, and of course, although there was success after that, um, it has kind of almost been a, a little bit of a struggle in a way. There's been a lot of turnover, of course, with the managers. Was that peak Chelsea? No, actually, it, look, we won the, We went to Bolton Wanderers away and we won the first league that we won for 50 years. And, I, you know, I was there and there were, there were 50-year-old men crying. It was, it was one of the most wonderful moments. But I will be forever thankful for what Mourinho did there. You know, he, like I said as well, he did it again. He did it the following season. We went out that summer and we... We were champions. We went out that summer and bought Michael Essie and he was the most, you know, the most coveted midfielder or player in, in world football at the time and we did it all again which was so impressive and we're so thankful to Aronovich and Mourinho for that but I actually think that more glorious moments came have have been with us since mm. you know I think I think we won off we won our first ever double you know top the Tottenham Hotspur the, fa- the famous rivals of ours um, true love <laughs> of yours Adam yeah. Tottenham, the thing that Tottenham Hotspur would always have over Chelsea was you never done the double, mate. You know they did the they did the double. You're always hearing about it. Danny Blanche Flower and Tottenham Hotspur, the glorious side of the of the sixties, who did the double. And it's something that evaded us 
Counts. Okay. We did a double. We did a, a league and a league cup double, but we didn't do the double. The double. We we didn't do the double, and the, the double is so so. It means so much to me. I think because the FA Cup means so much to me. I hold the FA Cup in such high regard that the double really is a special thing. And it was under Carlo Ancelotti that we achieved that goal. Well, and I mean that was also huge. We'll come on to him uh, in a second, but I mean in terms of. Mourinho leaving, he left uh, at the start of uh, his fourth season, essentially. Um, what yes. did you make of that? Because it was quite unexpected, of course. It was all said to be by mutual consent. Um, seemed to be growing tension between Mourinho and Abramovich. But what was your sort of take on the whole on the whole situation? Um, it was. It, it felt at the time. It certainly felt at the time that it was the wrong decision. But there were, the, you know, the results hadn't been going to. Well, we had a very, very unflattering result in Europe. Uh, we played Scandinavian side. I can't quite remember who now, but we drew one all. Uh, it might have been Rosenberg. Rosenberg, and yes. and it, it it was flat, and the performance was flat, and there was ir- irritation within the first team. This <laughs> this sounds very much like a, a, a situation that's about to replicate itself <laughs> ten years later, doesn't it? Uh, and and Mourinho and uh, Abramovich, sorry, pulled the trigger. At the time, as a fan, it was definitely not the right thing to do. I felt that Mourinho certainly had more to give. I think that his record after that, what he went on to do at other clubs, you know, into Milan, uh, Real Madrid, and back at Chelsea, ultimately, proves that he had more to give. But the timing, while I was anti the anti the result, the timing, I do sort of understand why Abramovich went down that road. That season, of course, um, despite the the poor start, as you said, that that one all draw against Rosenborg, they did manage to reach the Champions League final. Uh, Avram yes. Grant, the manager, leading them. I'm sort of doing air quotes, <laughs> which you can't see. But I mean, what do you make of Avram Grant and and getting to that final and the way it all sort of panned out there, the the disappointing defeat on uh, on penalties. I, I never like to, to sound disrespectful to anyone who's who's managed Chelsea Football Club, but I think that I I don't think I'm speaking out of line if I say that we got to that final in spite of Avram Grant rather than because of Avram Grant. Um, I think that it was, it was a team that got, it was, we were perennial underachievers. Yeah. We were a very good team. You know, we were, we were doing very well and we played Tottenham in the League Cup final. We got to the final and we lost. We then got to the Champions League final and we lost. We then blew it in the league and it was just one, yeah, just one final defeat after another final defeat and it was low. I mean, I was in Moscow when when Terry hit the post, and we were we were robbed. Actually, you know, it's it's a shame. It's well, we we were we were so good. You know, I think Manchester United probably had the best of Manchester United probably had the best of the first half. But from that moment, from the from the you know from that moment on, we were, we were excellent. I think we had Michael Essien playing right back as well, which was you know it's not his normal position, but he did a, did an excellent job. And it's it was just a real shame because we were so oh, we were so excited, we were so buoyed. And it still went a bit wrong. Didier Drogba got himself sent off. Um, Didier Drogba got himself sent off, I think, with a clash with Nemanja Vidic. And, yeah, it was, you know, that, that then led to John Terry having to take a penalty. And the rest is history. And it, it's weird, actually. I've, I, like I say, I was there. Frank Lampard scored for us. It's a goal that I've never seen. I, was, I, I, I managed to miss it at the time. I had to pop to Lou uh, when we scored. Mm. So I missed, missed the goal live. And obviously, have avoided any footage of that game ever since. Oh, really? So you've yeah, never I've seen never, the, the goal? Never, never seen thought to watch that back. Goal, yeah. 
Never, no, no. It, do you know, Too painful it was one to of, it. It was one of those. That I, sort of, I remember, I remember sort of organising with my mum, make sure that you record it. And uh, by the time I got home, it was immediately scrapped from the planner. <laughs> I mean, that, that, we're talking about how good the Chelsea team was in that era. They still um, had the, the the foundations of that Mourinho team, such as Drogba, such as uh, John Terry, Lampard, all those sort of players. The Manchester United team as well was uh, incredible at that time as well. And both teams get into the final. That probably was the height of English football in the modern era, especially in the Premier League era. Oh, definitely. Well, when you think of all of the uh, when you think of all of the battles that we've had over the years with Liverpool. That was because it was Chelsea and Liverpool who were forever in in Champions League semi-finals. Yeah, technically the two best teams in England for two or three years. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And, and, or and at least the most tactically adept, I'd say, maybe. Definitely, definitely. And yeah, there was a time when English, the English sides in Europe were the feared sides. You know, you can even take this slightly further. You go back to, say, 2006. It was Arsenal in a final, wasn't it? Um Liverpool were in a, in a couple of finals. Then Chelsea were in a couple of finals. Was, I think you went Liverpool, Arsenal, Liverpool. You went Liverpool, Arsenal, Liverpool, yeah. And yeah. Liverpool, Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United. Yeah. Which so, is, yeah, huge. Nice and then Manchester time. United again. It was Manchester United 09, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Manchester United, Barcelona at Wembley. So, yeah, I mean, English sides of late have really let themselves down on that front. Obviously, after that season, Avram Grant uh, finished second in the league. He was sacked, and in came Luis Felipe Scolari. Oh no! Oh yes. no! Do we have to do yes, this? He did come in. Uh, oh, he came no. in. That was in the hope of playing Brazilian football, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, that was exactly beautiful football. And everyone was like, "Well, this is this is how it works out." You know, that's why he got rid of Mourinho. He wanted yeah. to play beautiful football, which is technically true. He did. He said he wanted, he, you know, he wanted Ronaldinho and those sorts of guys, didn't he? Yeah, desperately. But do you, do you know what you said? Exactly what you said there, Lawrence. It's so accurate and so flawed, isn't it? It's a it's a chairman it? who who I love. Do you know? Don't get me wrong. We are so grateful to Abramovich, and I passionately sing his name at Stamford Bridge. But there occasionally. Come on, mate! You can't do that. You can't just, you can't just like decide. Oh no, we're not, we're not going to do this anymore. Irrespective of the players we've got, let's go Brazil. We're going to go Brazilian. We're going to win every game five three. Let's get the Brazilian uh, Brazilian manager in, sign some Brazilian players, and hope for the best. It, it was ludicrous. That's and what it, looking back is is so weird, though, isn't it? Because actually, it's not like Brazilian football was in. I mean, you know, if you talk to Brazilian experts now, maybe you talk to a Tim Vickery or someone like that, they say. Brazilian football hasn't been in its pomp for such a long time because of Brazilian things that it's sort of yes. a bit of a weird one to base it, base it on. And it, it looks like the kind of, like you say, the kind of decision made by a football guy who doesn't yeah. quite get... Well, it's what I do on a computer game. <laughs> yeah. It's what I do on a computer game. Although now you do. I mean, since then, you've signed some great Brazilians, so... Yes, yeah, of, of course. But they're also... but pro- I think what we've signed is wonderful football who happen to be Brazilian rather than trying to play a style of football and making that fit. Like, yeah, they've been shaped in Europe those players really, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. But that, that, that period, I mean, and the funny thing is, this, this is, there's two very dark eras and I'm sure that we're going to come on to another one and Lawrence <laughs> and I will have a serious debate about uh, <laughs> the Rafa Benitez era. We'll be but serious. the, the um, Scolari one really was terrible and it started so well. I can remember... If I remember rightly, anyway, we played Portsmouth the first game of the season. Mm. Deco was the Deco was the man, you know, brought him in. He pinged in a goal from, you know, 45 yards or something ridiculous like that. We won 4-0, opening day, top of the league, sun was shining. 
and you know the samba beats were kicking. It was it was a wonderful uh, wonderful moment. It, it was all going well and then for the it, first it, thirteen it, games essentially, and then it all started to go wrong. <laughs> it all started to go wrong, yeah. And do you know what I think? I remember some of the players coming out at the time and talking about it. They were so um, they they, were, they felt undertrained. Like you know, the training sessions were very short. It was there was no. I think they'd gone from being kind of drilled under Mourinho, fitness drills, and and everything being so so on point that suddenly it was just you know let the flair take over, out you go, and and yeah, they were they were, we were dreadful at times under under Scolari, really bad. He obviously was gone by by February. Uh, Goose Hiddink came in. Uh, the upturn in form was uh, a media, and of course, just went on to win the the FA Cup final in two thousand and nine. I mean, how fondly is Hiddink remembered because of uh, those effects he had during that well, season at Chelsea? Well, the first uh, the, from that first period, very very well. Uh, we played we played under we, you know, we played some good football under him. He really steadied the ship, and we actually managed to go from that terrible position to launching quite a serious bid for the Premier League. We again, this is all from memory, but if I remember rightly, we could we felt like we could have won it. We we won a lot of games in a row. We seemed to go full froth full throttle for the league, and, and it was actually a Luka Modric goal at White Hart Lane again. We lost one nil. I can remember being there in the upper tier, and that was the moment that we couldn't win the league. Um, but he did inc- he did exceptionally well to to make it even a fight to make us even contenders for the league. Um, so, you know he did did brilliantly, and then we went on to win the FA Cup under him. So at that point, Gus Hiddink was seen as a bit of a saviour. You know, winning the FA Cup at Wembley was always brilliant. Uh, I think it was Frank Lampard scored against Everton with a left foot. You know, thirty yards his usual bread and butter stuff. And at that point, we were eternally grateful to Gus Hiddink and his name was held in very high regard mm. that may have changed but at this <laughs> point you know in the uh, in 09 that's certainly where we are you spoke earlier about Carl Ancelotti coming in that next season obviously winning the double uh, you know Chelsea's most successful season ever domestically I mean that team as well although they didn't reach 90 points uh, in terms of their final league tally I mean they scored 103 goals over the course of the season I seem to remember that team just obliterating yeah, uh, teams in the Premier League. That's exactly that's exactly what happened. Uh, that's exactly what happened under Ancelotti, uh, and the way that he was treated after doing so well for us. The way, like if if uh, if reports are to be believed, he was actually sacked in the tunnel at Goodison Park. Uh, that's where he was told that his <sighs> tenure of Chelsea was coming to an end. And it was moments like that that really did, you know, the um, the, the chasm between supporter and fan. Uh, sorry, as supporter and club, you know the the people who make these decisions has has there's there's been moments where it really does feel like the disparity is so huge, and it's moments like that, it's reports like that that really make us look at the board and go, "What are you doing?" This is a man who who we love. He's he he's completely thrown himself in and embraced everything that is Chelsea Football Club. You know, he loves South West London. He bought a restaurant on Kings Road. He he became Chelsea. He was one of those. Uh, you know, we've had. A, number of them, Italian Chelsea players who just really gets it. And he was cool. Fans loved him. He used to like that. This famous thing where he gave a fan a cigarette. Um, <laughs> yeah. The fan, fan asked him for a fag when he was in the dugout and he gave him one. Um, he was just a very, very popular figure. And that football that we played was, was at times just, just unstoppable. You know, we had a, we had a forward line that was just full of goals. We had Frank Lampard doing his thing from midfield. Probably better than he'd ever done it, um, and I think I think it was all um, the, the the like a microcosm to to 
demonstrate this whole point is, I think last day of the season, I think we ended up putting eight past Wigan and that took us to the 103, which again was a record. And yeah, and then we went and won the FA Cup uh, against Portsmouth. So yeah, he, he, he really is somebody who we hold in such high regard. And there were times, in fact, I'm sure there'll be times again, whenever there's a Chelsea vacancy, whenever there is a moment of, of uh, instability at managerial level, Carlo Ancelotti is always, Bring always, the, the yeah, yeah, he's the fans, he's, he's chugging by the fans immediately. He's, 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 I would go so far as saying one of the only people at Chelsea who's completely, like, universally loved. Carlo Ancelotti is, is looked on so fondly by so many. Yeah, I mean, that decision to, to, to sack him at the end of that season in the manner they did it, um, I think they finished they finished second that season, didn't they? They were eight or nine points behind United, but it just seemed so short-sighted at the time to, for a manager who, as you say, brought that, that double to Stamford Bridge. Um, yeah. Seems I, a very I, I strange think, decision. Do you know what I think it is? I think the debate is, and, and I think that it's a very, very interesting one. The debate is there's, there's, two, there's two styles of manage, man, managers that you can employ on. There's two ways of doing it. And at this period at Chelsea, we were we felt like at least we were craving what Arsenal had and what Manchester United had. You know that long term, stable, let somebody build a side. But that is one way of doing it. You know, you get somebody in for the long haul and you allow them to put their blueprint onto the team at all, at all levels. You know, and Manchester United was run under Alex Ferguson from from the under eights right through to the first team in his manner. That is one way of doing it, and that has been a very, very successful way of doing it. There, there is another way, though, and mm. this isn't necessarily what Chelsea fans wanted, and it certainly at this period it isn't what we were crying out for, but with hindsight and what we're about to discuss next, you can see where Roman Abramovich seems to come from. I think he subscribes to the paradigm where you don't employ people like that. You employ people on very short term, and they're impact managers. They come in, they do something wonderful, and then you get someone else in and they do something wonderful. And then you get someone else in and they do something wonderful. It's not, it's not what fans like. Fans want to feel an affinity to the man in charge and, and yeah. you know, grow a love. And then they feel a love and a loyalty and they don't like the person being mistreated. But when he was sat, of course, you know, he won us a double. It, it, things in our mind then couldn't get any better. But then 2012 came around. It's that's the point, isn't it? Because it seemed Ancelotti uh, being sacked seemed to set off quite a rocky period in in recent Chelsea history, but also while bringing probably the greatest moment in in the club's uh, time. I mean, Andre Villas-Boas was the man to come in. He just won the Europa League with Porto with a fantastic Porto side. Uh, sort of placed his future to the club, but I think Chelsea managed to to convince him to join. It was an interesting period because. Uh, AVB coming in, a young manager, was potentially seen as, as you say, Roy, that long-term option the fans wanted. Maybe he's going to be there for an extended period of time. There was all the talk about how the squad needed to transition. The foundations of the Mourinho era were eroding. They needed to bring in new players to, to go to a new era. I mean, how do you feel about the way AVB handled it and how he was treated? Uh, well, see, it's very interesting you say that about the transition because I, while I have no time for for Villas Boas. I think he got it I think he got some things massively wrong at Chelsea and then he did the he did the dirty on us you know he went to Tottenham uh, which is just a, a ground that you shouldn't tread whether it's Gordon Jury Gus Poirier or um Andre Villas Boas it's not it's not what you do but he did it and I you know but what what I think is quite important is I I have an element of sympathy for him slightly because I feel like he was brought into Chelsea with a remit of 
shaking it up. We felt like the team that was in place, it was pretty much the same. It was at least the same spine that had, you know, won a league, the first league eight, you know, eight years previously or whatever it was. And they felt like there was need to to come at it from a different angle and to rejuvenate that side. And I think villas Bas was brought in with the remit to do that. I think as soon as he tried to employ it, player power, and rightly so, you know, like when you think that he was trying to, uh, he was trying to take Frank Lampard out of that side. He was trying to drop Ashley Cole out of that side. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It needed to be done far more in a far more clued up and cryptic way than he was doing it. He just came in, and I think I think at one point as well, he made Florian Maluda, who was a very very popular player among the players, he made him trade with the kids, mm. which is just disrespectful. Just completely disrespectful. He went about what he went the way that he went about doing everything was really, really messed up, and it was no surprise when he got sacked. But there is an element of me that kind of thinks he was he was given a bit of a rough deal because at the time he was brought in to shake it up, and so he was brought in to shake it up. He came in, he shook it up, and he got sacked. I also think he was told that he could shake it up. I also think he was told he could transition those players on. And part of the reason he was told he could transition those players on was because those players were so loyal to Mourinho. Mm. And it's definitely it that. pissed Abramovich off a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, John, the, power, the power that Mourinho wielded at the club is something that doesn't sit comfortably with the people who run the club. And, and I, I would actually think this time last year when there was a, a debate about John Terry's future... The power that John Terry wields at the club via the fans is not something that sits comfortably with the people who run the club. So Villas Boas was brought in to to shake that up a bit, and you know, let's imprint something new and get rid of the old guard. And you've seen as Mourinho two point oh, but he, he was by, he really but was, playing yeah, better football. That, yeah, that's exactly well, what, what he was perceived as better football. Yeah, but. Yeah, it, it didn't work out, and the way that he the way that he went about it, the way that he went about treating some of the players who were held in very high regard, he made an enemy of the fans very, very quickly. Me being one of them at the time, massively. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But I, re- I remember really well the, you know, uh, as you say, I think he maybe tried to do too much too soon or the way he went about actually trying to to move on certain players uh, was, uh, wasn't the smartest way to do it. But it got to March, um, Things weren't going uh, too well. They'd lost to Napoli in the first leg of their uh, Champions League tie. Um, 
obviously losing to West Brom was the final straw in the league. Uh, VS Burris was removed. Di Matteo came in as the uh, caretaker manager. He was the assistant manager under AVB. And I just remember that that second leg against Napoli. It was the most glorious night at the Stamford Bridge incredible. in recent history. Yeah, it was, the Stamford Bridge hasn't made that that amount of noise since about 1995 when we played Bruges and it was like our first European exploits because we got to the FA Cup final in 94 and ended up in the, we lost the final, but we ended up in Europe and it was a brand new thing for Chelsea fans and the, the volume at the, at the bridge, the old bridge was really, really huge. Nothing has been replicated like that apart from that Napoli game. It was unbelievable. Yeah, we were 3-1 down, 3-1 down. We were, I think, I think I was at the game. We went 1-0 up while Matter scored for us. Uh, we went one nil up in in Naples, lost the game three one, yes. and it was a huge moment. There was a huge, huge moment. I think it was Cavani who's gone through. He's 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 gone round. He's gone round the keeper, and he's shot. And, yeah, he's only got he's got the whole goal to aim at. He's shot, and Ashley Cole, who is undoubtedly the best clearer off a liner ever, Ashley Cole <laughs> has thrown himself at the ball, managed to clear it off. Like that would that puts that puts Napoli four one four game over game over. Yeah. Ashley Cole manages to make it in the 86 minute or something like that. Ashley Cole clears it off the line. And for one second, you just thought, just maybe, you know, coming back to the bridge, a 2 0 win is what you needed at the time. You kind of thought, just maybe there's a chance here. Then we had a massive week. Our hero was, was employed, uh, you know, a man who's probably given me more happy moments than any <laughs> other man in the world, Roberto Di Matteo. I think that Rafa Benitez <laughs> was, <laughs> was was employed, and yeah, there was there was an air. Obviously, you know, we, that game at Stamford Bridge, it was just it was just wonderful. I remember every moment of it. Na, Na, Naples, they brought so many fans over. There were a lot of lot, there was lots of sort of pockets of trouble because Napoli fans were in amongst the home fans. They really did come on mass. They were expecting of a, a win. Um, they were worthy of a win. They played they played brilliantly. And somehow it was it was um, Di Matteo, and there's a there's a very famous image actually of John Terry really giving tactical advice to Di Matteo. It was a huge team wow. uh, team event. Yeah, it was it was it was brilliant, and it went to extra time. We won three one, so it went to extra time, and then Branislav Ivanovic popped up and just pinged one in to the roof of the net at the shed end, and um, the noise was deafening. It was it was truly truly wonderful, and it was in that moment where we thought. This this isn't this isn't normal. Everything that's going on here isn't normal, and there is potential. It was quite. And, it was just such a turnaround because you know from from the turmoil under AVB to then after that game to be the only team, the only English team remaining in in the Champions League in, in all European competitions was uh, you know uh, quite something. And then obviously to go on, I mean, obviously no one was giving Chelsea much of a chance, Rory. Uh, no, especially in that in that semi final. Well, yeah, I think we played Benfica. If I, yeah, we played Benfica next and and you know got through I think Lou scored and then and then it was Barcelona and that game I, I mean that game yeah I you know I just I just cannot believe it. It, it it's still something it's still one of the most fascinating unreal experiences ever it, like the fact that we got that <laughs> result um I, you know I think I think the uh the only Overriding image, and I think it's an image that surmises everybody's feelings towards it. Is Gary Neville's voice as Torres rounds Valdez? 
guess, to, to completely put it to bed. It was just so, I remember watching at the start and sort of thinking, you know, oh, there's no way Chelsea are going to do this. There's no way they can beat Barcelona. Well, no, it all see, went wrong. It all went to wrong. To see John Terry get sent off. It was yeah, John like, Terry wow. fouled Sanchez, didn't he? John Terry fouled Alexis Sanchez. Crazy. Got sent off. Crazy foul. He seems got to like knee him in the back. Wasn't yeah, idiot. I know. And then was banned for the final, which was such a shame. But got sent off. Was he, he banned? Because I thought, I thought he celebrated. He's created one of the greatest sort of Chelsea jokes of all time for everyone else. So uh, I'm forever grateful. <laughs> but yeah, to, to be down to 10 men in that in that leg and to... Be down to 10 men. And then, well, do you know, do you know what the moment was? Um, the, the famous image, like, I just thought like, you know, I've just conformed to exactly what I don't like, which is the, the Torres thing. But it was the, the thing that made it so, so special was Frank Lampard, you know, we're coming up to half-time, we're two down, we're down to 10 men, everything was going wrong. Frank Lampard picks the ball up in his own half, under pressure, sort of spins on it and plays one of the most incredible assists ever because he plays it blind and he chips it over. Ramirez goes flying through on it. You, you know, Ramirez is a player who I... I loved, I really do, and I still do. But one on one with the keeper isn't necessarily his forte. He's chipped him. He's chipped Valdez. You're like, <laughs> oh my lordy, what are you playing at? And it's nestled perfectly into Sailed the corner. Him. That made it 2 1. 2 1. Suddenly, the aggregate score sees us through, and we think, surely not. You know, they've got 45 minutes. They've got 45 minutes to find a goal because we're not going to find another one. Unbelievably, then. He didn't find one. Lionel Messi hits the bar from a penalty. Did he drop away a penalty? Late on, and we just think, oh, no. Messi smacks it into the bar. Then the ball drops to Ashley Cole. Ashley Cole does the biggest punt ever. Like, definitely not picking Torres out, just getting rid of it. The, the camera, like, the footage that now that I find so entertaining is that the camera can't really keep up with Torres. Yeah. Suddenly, Torres is there in the... He just appears, the, yeah. think, Why is he there? What was he doing? Like, we were defending... We had, our backs against the wall for, 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 for 45 minutes. Why on earth is Fernando Torres on his own in the opposition half? And uh, yeah, Cooley rounds Valdez, slots it in. And we're off to Munich to face Munich. And uh, yeah, as you said, Gary Neville was uh, some of the most famous commentary ever. Oh. Well. So, yeah, yeah. That was a great impression. Great impression. But then, yeah, that was it. The, the final at the Allianz Arena. Um, obviously, uh, a close game. I think closer than people were expecting. But then, Eight third minute, Muller scores. You're thinking, well, that's that, isn't it? They've won that. They've they've deserved to win that game. And then yeah. somehow, uh, for, I know Fernando Torres gets a lot of credit for winning the corner. Fernando Torres did win the corner, but do you know what we've just what, what we've just glossed over here, and I can't quite allow that to happen, just Come especially on. with Lawrence uh, there. We won the FA Cup. Oh, oh yes, you did win we that won, beforehand. We won, right. we won. We won the FA Cup. Um, yeah, we beat, we beat Liverpool. Liverpool. Yeah, we what beat a massive achievement! Just wanted, to, yeah, just wanted to slip that in. Yeah, that, well, I think I think it then becomes this is this is why Mourinho is so in such a difficult position when it comes to kind of looking back on Chelsea Chelsea glorious moments because you'd say you'd say Di Matteo winning the FA Cup and the Champions League has to be the best thing ever. You then have to say winning the double under Ancelotti is the best second best thing ever, and then Mourinho's achievement of winning the league and the League Cup. So it kind of puts Mourinho in Chelsea's history. It kind of puts Mourinho at third place. Wow. Okay. I mean, that's interesting in terms of the achievements. I guess it kind of... In terms of the achievements, yeah. Makes sense. Uh, but, I mean, the achievement of Chelsea... I mean, talk to me about that final, Roy, because, I mean, were, were you never expecting to win? Did you think it was all done and dusted in that sort of 83rd minute to, to come back in the way, you know, with that header from Drogba and to 
for it to come down to penalties. I mean, what were you feeling there? Well, look, going going to Munich to face Munich, you know, they're playing a home game. And I was out there. And obviously, you know, Chelsea had their allocation of tickets, probably 25,000, probably 40,000 went. Mm. But any neutral area obviously falls into the hands of the Germans because it's in Germany and, you know, they snap up the tickets. So we were hugely outnumbered in the stadium. It did feel like a home game to Bayern. You know, they had this, they had a big display earlier, uh, just before kickoff, kind of calling it, I think it, the, the slogan was uh, our, our team, our, our stadium, our, our cup, you know, it was something something along those lines. Unsupport. Whatever that means, you, I can remember it written up, and it, and it basically translates to "You're in our stadium, and it's going to be our cup." Um, and it, it, I, I, you know, obviously you maintain hope, but the forces seem so against us. You know, John Terry was out; he was our best defender at the time. Uh, Branislav Ivanovic was out, who was one of our best defenders at the time. David Luiz. Mm was so injured that under other circumstances would never have played. He effectively played with one leg to win us the Champions League that, that day. Uh, he was, but not he, literally. No, no, but he was he was it was it was awful because he was sort of limping around in the warm up. Mm. Now this this is this doesn't bode well. This really doesn't bode well. Um you know when you've got the Ryan likes, Bartrand was starting left wing as well, I think. In his, in his, was interesting, yeah. in his debut, in his, in his Champions League debut, started Bertrand started left wing. Um, it, yeah, it was you know so it was, it was a Gary Cahill, it was a Gary Cahill and David Luiz centre half partnership, which felt you know shaky. Um, and and yeah, it was it was it felt like we were up against it, but there was belief. You know, we'd won the FA Cup, we'd beaten Barcelona. There was belief. That belief came crashing down, obviously, when Muller scored. It was it so late was on as well, yeah. So late, so late on, and it, yeah, it was it was harrowing because the stadium erupted. They believed they thought that it was it was a job, you know, job job done. It was the the sensation that you got around the stadium, and looking around the Chelsea end where I was, yeah, it was um, it wasn't it wasn't a nice place to be. People were so upset. People were close to tears. I was close to tears and it felt like, here we go again. You know, the, the, the haunting images of Moscow came flooding back to me and you think, here we go again. It, like you said before, Torres won a corner. Torres won a corner pretty much out of nothing. He did well. He chased the lost cause, won a corner. Juan Mata whipped it in and Didier Drogba the big unleashed the most bullet-like header I've ever seen. And yeah, he you know, gave Neuer no chance. We erupted. I, do you know? I can remember. I was with my friend, uh, and every obviously naturally everybody jumps up. I've gone up. I've gone up onto the seat. It's all gone wild. <laughs> my mate has actually like deflated and sat down. He was just like completely overwhelmed with passion. I kind of like jumped off the seat. Everybody's screaming. Yeah, people are screaming. People are falling over each other. Every like people are tumbling down the aisles. It was wild. My mate just like sat down with his hand in his head. I was like, "What the earth are you doing?" Hey, are you alright? It's, like, it's like completely overwhelmed, you know. It's like the whole uh, the whole experience was too much to cope with. Um, what yeah, what was it like then, Rory, when when Drogba it came down to Drogba, uh, Bayern had missed two penalties. Well, they'd uh, also missed the penalty in extra time. Arjun Robin, Arjun Robin missed had. the penalty in the in during the game, and that was the moment. That that was it. Arjun Robin missed the penalty, and that was the moment that we said. This, this, this can happen. This can happen. <laughs> that Louise went up the other. So the penalties were given at the other end. Typical. Um, and uh, you know, I think one matter had missed. One matter had missed. David Luiz had scored. Czech had saved one. David Luiz did something brilliant as well. Like I said, he played with one leg, 
And then he's, as he scored, he pinged one into the top corner and ran into the Bayern fans and really did give them some, some grief back, which was what we needed. You know, it really did G everybody up. And Drogba has a chance to win it. Moscow, the shadow and the, you know, the spectre of Moscow was still there. John Terry stepping up. With Drogba, it felt like it felt like he was going to score. I thought he was going to score. Whereas every penalty up until that point, I didn't think anyone yeah. was going to score. I felt like Drogba was going to score. I've actually asked him subsequently. I've had a, one conversation with him since where I've actually said, did you know you were going to score? And he said, 100%. 100% knew it was a goal. <laughs> before, before, I, before I'd even lined it up, it was a goal. And then it, it hit the back of the net. The, the, the collective sigh of disbelief from the German fans was truly great. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, they played one step beyond and we'd done it. We'd become the first London club to ever win the European Cup. And the, that I is s- the best s- thing ever. Still struggled to get over it, to be honest, to, to sort of uh, believe that Chelsea won it because the, uh, obviously Chelsea are a huge club and obviously the the quality is there. But for them in that season, the way they were playing and the, the, the turmoil... For them to win against these teams who probably it should was the have worst, been it was them. worst Chelsea team. It was the worst Chelsea team to compete in Europe that won it. You know, we'd had we'd had some excellent teams. Yeah, after all previously. those efforts, all those times. Yeah, like, like the O nine team, the O nine team when uh, when Barcelona Iniesta scored that last minute, Michael Essien had scored a volley, yes. and then we went out. Like that team deserved it. The arguably the O eight team deserved it. Arguably a team when Liverpool beat us on penalties uh, in O five deserved it. This team, they certainly deserved it through through grit and determination and effort and everything, all those things. But in terms of footballing ability, it, it, it was lacking compared to some of our other sides. And that made it all the more sweet. How is, I mean, you spoke about uh, how Avram Grant, Chelsea got to the final despite of him. I mean, how's Di Matteo viewed by Chelsea fans? Obviously, the man who, who brought the European Cup to Stamford Bridge. But in terms of his part in that, in that achievement? Roberto Di Matteo deserves a statue at Stamford Bridge. Roberto Di Matteo has, has wow. single-handedly, single-handedly changed the shape of Chelsea Football Club on numerous occasions. He scored, he scored a, a, a goal in the FA Cup final. It was a record at the time. I think Luis Saha broke it against us. Yeah, I remember. In, yeah. yeah, Luis Saha broke it against us when we played Everton. But it was Di Matteo's record. I think it was four, 46 seconds, 42 seconds. Um, and... and uh, that that goal set us on the on road to winning our first FA Cup for 27 years. Uh, then again, he scored a goal in the League Cup final, won us another thing. Mm. Then, so as a player, he's had his impact. He's done it as a as a player as well as scoring countless big goals in the league. You know, his career was was sadly cut short. He got fouled, and we played Saint Gallen in Switzerland in a in a, a European Cup game, and it, his leg was destroyed. And it was a shame because he was a, he was a marvelous football player, so technically gifted, so clever, such an, a, a keen eye for a pass. He did all that for us as a player, you know, scoring such big goals, winning us trophies. To then come back and do it as a manager and guide us to the biggest ever trophy, a trophy that we've never won, a trophy that no London side has ever won. We won a race with Arsenal to be the first London club to win it. And we won that race because of him. It's not dissimilar. I know, I know in terms of the magnitude of it, I'm not, I'm not getting carried away here. I can see what I'm going to say could be ridiculed. But it's not dissimilar to the impact of... Um, Charlton at Manchester United, you know, he did everything as a player. Um, wow. He then, you know, it's it's not dissimilar. It's it's doing things as a player, and then coming back and doing it again as a manager. Roberto Di Matteo uh, definitely deserves more recognition than he gets at Stamford Bridge. It went 
And the way that he was treated, the way that he was sacked, we was I was in Turin. We we played Juventus. Uh, we played Juventus and got well and really whooped. You know, really, you know, when it's really bad. We lost three 0 but it could have been about eight. So I don't think we touched the ball. Um, really, really bad. And we're we're at the airport, and news started to filter through that he was sacked. Di Matteo was sacked, and that was a crusher. That was heartbreaking. I mean, do you think? It was unfair. I mean, I think everyone wanted to see him rewarded with that contract in, uh, I think they gave it to him in June at the end. There was a lot of speculation about whether Roman Bramovich was actually going to reward him with the job. Mm. Um, he did get a two-year contract in the end. But as you say, by November, after that win with Chelsea, uh, that defeat, sorry, with Chelsea on the verge of becoming the first ever uh, European Cup champions or Champions League champions to be knocked out in the group yeah. stages the next season. Um, we've got a few of those records. We were the worst, yeah. worst defending Premier League. Uh, yeah, we've got a few of them. But was it the correct decision from purely a football basis? Arguably, yes. Probably, yes. But uh, emotionally, you can't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you know. Well, certainly not me as a fan. Anyway, maybe this is why I'm not on the board. Which more to the board's detriment. But maybe they don't approach it with the same amount of romanticism that I do. Obviously, they don't, and perhaps they shouldn't. But equally, I think you are allowed to be slightly forgiving to somebody who has given so much and such brilliant moments. It was a wrong decision to sack him. But when you look at his managerial career subsequently, it hasn't hasn't been a bed of roses. No, and I think uh, I always felt like Abramovich was waiting for the waiting for the excuse essentially to get rid of Dimitri because he didn't think he was uh, a long-term option. Um, yes. It was it was a little bit of a shock when uh, he was dismissed, uh, dismissed only a couple of months into that season, though. Perhaps more of a shock um, on the same day for them to announce Rafael Benitez, former Liverpool manager, uh, as interim coach until the end of the season. Uh, what was your reaction at the time to that, Rory? Well, do you know... You know I think this will this will demonstrate the point perfectly from a Chelsea fan's perspective. I think if you were to ask a Chelsea fan, say you are, say if you ask ten Chelsea fans, can you give us please your greatest ever moment following the club and your worst ever moment following the club, you would get ten different answers for your greatest moment. Some people would some people would say Bolton in '05. Some people would say Amsterdam 2013. Some people would say Munich. Some people would say uh, knocking Arsenal out of the Champions League. Some people would say beating Manchester United 5 0 some people say beating Tottenham six one. Some people say beating Tottenham four nil twice in three days. There are so <laughs> many. There are so many reasons for your greatest ever moment following the club. You asked ten people your worst ever moment following the club. It would be unanimously the day that Chelsea employed Rafael Benitez. What? So, for those who don't know, um, what is the reason that Benitez uh, inspires such animosity in Chelsea fans? Because, and it's a credit to him, and it's a credit to the Liverpool side of which he was a manager, because he was a huge rival of ours. Antipathy and rivalry in football is a good thing. It's not something that should be frowned upon or, or discouraged. It's, it's part of the fibre of being a football fan. You have hatred towards certain people and certain clubs, and that should be, that should be encouraged. You know, Don't cross a line, don't be an idiot. But equally, rivalries and hatreds are part of following a football club. Rafael Benitez was the principal man and the manager of a Liverpool team that countlessly got one over on us. Of course we, of course we don't like him. He said, as well he should have done, he said some very disparaging remarks about Chelsea. 
because he was a Liverpool manager. I mean, it's not a personal thing. It's it, He did exactly the right thing. He said what he should have said for the position that he was in. And he conformed to the position that he was in. He was he was a Liverpool man saying things that Liverpool fans wanted to hear, saying things that would benefit his Liverpool team to the detriment of Chelsea. He, I have no issue with him doing that. That's exactly what he should have done. But I can't like him for that, of course. It would be like saying to a Liverpool fan, you're a big fan of Didier Drogba, right? You know, now you've got to support him. Or, or, or now you've got Jose Mourinho, now you've got to support him. It's, it's it, it would be like saying to a just United fan, you have to support Jose Oh. <laughs> but I think I think the thing is with, with, with that, Chelsea fans, in fact, we can use the, the Manchester United thing that Lawrence just mentioned there as a bit of a case study. Chelsea fans in this circumstance are, in my, in my opinion, and if you just hear me out, I think cover themselves in glory because the... the Go on. The, the term plastic. The term the, well, the term plastic is often bandied around, right? They say plastic fans, you know, no, no heart, no soul, you know, swing, you know, swing in the wind. What Chelsea fans demonstrated there was, irrespective of how well Benitez did, and he did well, we still had no time for him. So it was right. it, it was in, well, it was in fact the the it was in fact the exact opposite of plastic because we we didn't like him beforehand. He then came in. Secured Champions League qualification, won us a European Cup, the, not the European Cup, a European Cup, and we still didn't like him. We we stuck to our guns. <laughs> it was the it was the exact opposite of being a plastic supporter. It was being a, a supporter true to himself. Sticking to well, principles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of, I mean, I kind of, I see both sides. I obviously, see you wouldn't like him. I also find it just really unusual. From I mean, Rafa Benitez must just be a sucker for punishment because it's just so you know as much as you didn't want him I imagine it wasn't the ideal situation for him there must be a reason why he went there and it was probably money I, I mean money would certainly be a factor but I, but he's had a, he's had an excellent managerial career and he's a very good manager as he's currently proving at the moment well, I also just money, think he probably yeah but I mean he, he probably wanted he to prove that to some extent do you know that I also yeah. think that he had he had he had um, I think it was a, a stupid troll as well I think he found it quite funny like, you know I think I do think he found it quite. Fun. I, I I also think it was a bit of a weird one because I think he partly seeks approval, and I think he realised the place that he didn't have approval was not necessarily Chelsea, but definitely London. And I think as much as Chelsea fans didn't like him, I think a lot of journalists in that time grew to like him, and and because they'd never been to you know a press conference at Anfield or whatever beforehand, yes, yes, yes. they 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 grew more affection for him, and they were like, oh, I didn't realise he was a nice guy, and yes. I would sort of be like, well. What you've never been to one of his press conferences before, and they were like, "Well, no, obviously not." Yeah, yeah, and you'd be yeah. like, "Well, then you, it's get on a train, w- mate. Get on a train." <laughs> yeah, and and I, I guess that's also part of it is that I feel maybe in the first place, if the London press had been a little bit kinder to him or sort of portrayed him in a different way, maybe it would have made some fans feel a little differently about him. Um, yeah, but you know, but he, he did. He did. There were there were moments where he called, and whether it's right or wrong is irrelevant. Like, I'm not saying that Didier Drogba w- has never dived, because, but it's not my responsibility to do that. Football is a tribal game, and we have our allegiances, and it's important that we stick to those, like it's important that managers stick to theirs. But when Benitez came out and called Didier Drogba a diver, um, that irated me, and it irated other Chelsea fans. Whether it's true or not, it's neither here nor there. Why? Because it's not a rational... It's f- football support isn't a rational thing. It's it's very much irrational. It's you know you've got te- you've got people who support Fleetwood Town singing "We're by far the greatest team the world has ever seen," 
and more fire to them. They should sing that. Yeah, because but, but they, they know that isn't team, true. You know, they, they know that isn't true. And ultimately, like, you know, I think that, that's the difference, isn't it? Is that they're singing it ironically or they're singing it in a way because they believe they're the greatest team in terms of support. They're, they're clearly, no one there is ever saying we are the greatest team on the pitch. And if they are, then, you know, they must have reason for that. But, 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 but football, if, at least in my opinion here, shouldn't be so rational. We shouldn't, it's it's football is is something that's allowed to be you're you're allowed to think things that aren't aren't obvious like you see a referee call something offside that you know is offside if you're in the stadium you're like what are you talking about ref of course it's not of course it is offside but you're not sitting there as a you you know football support is meant to be unilateral partisan support at least in my opinion it's supposed to be really interesting it's supposed to be unilateral support for your side against those against whoever you're playing irrespective I find that very, I find that very interesting because it also I having I've spoken to a lot of Spurs fans recently as well and interviewed a couple of other fans that sounds like there are a few mentalities that are very specific to a few different clubs and I think you know the Spurs, the Spurs fan that I uh, spoke to first of all was a very apologetic man and secondly was um someone who just sort of said well you know we're pessimistic and aren't all football fans i was a bit like actually no no not all football fans are quite pessimistic and then it's quite funny to hear you say this because it's a very marini it's it's a marinoism or a marinoism you know, because it is it, he's he has a very uh creative way of dealing with the truth and there are other people who they will surely if you want the best for your club you would look for the most realistic and the most rational route to go because you realise that you want to get to the zenith of your powers. And arguably, that is why Mourinho took Chelsea there because he was very malle- he made the truth very malleable, but at the same time was very realistic with what they could achieve and instilled that within his squad and made them all believe in the harsh reality of what Mourinho painted. Yeah, I think I think it's a Mourinho thing, but I do. I also think look, Mourinho definitely conforms to this. Mourinho's a football man, but I think that this is this is wider than an individual. I think you know, when, you know, when we have a debate over who's a better player, who's it's nobody approaches those conversations rationally. Generally, if if you talk to a Chelsea fan, who's a better player, Rio Ferdinand or John Terry? The Chelsea fans will tell you John Terry. The Manchester United fans will tell you Rio Ferdinand. If you do the same same debate with Frank Lampard or Steven Gerrard, same split. People don't approach these things rationally. But, but at the same time, it isn't, it isn't, that that's isn't something that's quantifiable, is it? Like, that's not, um, most people would say, well, you know, that, what you're asking there is for a definitive on a subjective. It doesn't make any sense to be able to do that. But, you know, if you ask someone, uh, you know, definitively, uh, so say you could say to Mourinho or Benitez, definitively, where would you put this player? And, uh, you know, do you believe that he's going to win you titles? then a manager can give you a very honest answer and say, actually, I think I need a different defender. They've got something that's quantifiable there. You know, did this guy have a good game? Well, yeah, I suppose. I just don't think that's a fan's responsibility. For me, a, fa- a fan's response, response, not necessarily responsibility, but a fan, the way that I approach my fandom is unilateral, partisan, bias support. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not to the level, not to the level of idiocy, but... That's well, but for 90, well, okay, yeah, I mean, that's, considering just, <laughs> yeah, but that's, um, that's, that's how I go into it, and that's, that's why I think the, the Benitez thing irked a lot of people mm. so much. Like, there's, there's some footage, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's, there's some footage. Chelsea played Brentford, which are pretty much, you know, it's not a million miles away, it's pretty much a local derby. They, they, we were away, 
and to get to the to get to the dugout at Griffin Park, you cross the pitch. So you come out of the tunnel at one side and cross the pitch. At half time, you've got you've got to have a look at it. It's on YouTube. At half time, Benitez, I think we were one 0 down. Benitez has to do the walk across in front of the away fans to to the uh, tunnel, and the the support is uh, the the Chelsea support is so so hostile and so loud to Benitez to our manager at the time it's it's unbelievable I think the, that video the conversation that we've now been having for about 10 minutes we haven't really got anywhere I think that video will will um completely surmise exactly how Chelsea fans were feeling at the time it felt yeah I, I think he was he was never going to be a popular figure I think the perception from most outside of Chelsea at the time was god it's going a bit overboard isn't it I mean <laughs> the the treatment of Rafa Benitez um but yeah, yeah, no, that was definitely the 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 the, uh, the position from outside was absolutely that. The, mm. the, yeah, the people uh, were we evoked sympathy for Benitez. I think a lot of people just yes. kind of felt that this has gone too far. I think um, other people also really enjoyed it. Like they they enjoyed watching, you know, Chelsea fans yeah. and Chelsea suffer, but, but but through winning. Like that was what was so unusual. Was it was like. Oh God, we won a cup. They're oh, really, I hate they're really it. not happy, are they? <laughs> it was, it was, there was something really funny about it because it was like, well, normally fan like there are so many other fans that would be absolutely ecstatic to win that. Like, you oh no, Panthers we were ecstatic to win that trophy. trophy. <laughs> don't don't. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, winning that, we won that. It was the, you know why that trophy was so important to us. We are now the only English only English side, uh, and I think the only other two sides that have won it are um, Juventus and Ajax to have won the four European trophies you know so including the old cup winners cup that completed the set for us grand we've slam. now won yeah we've now won the grand slam and, and we're, the only <laughs> Brit- we're the only British club to do it and the only two other clubs are Ajax and Juventus so us winning that was was huge and also now now it's all in the past now I can look at it slightly more detached of course, I'm grateful to Benitez for coming in, steadying his ship, winning that trophy, qualifying for Europe. Of course, but at the time, it just didn't sit comfortably. It wasn't. It wasn't a good fit for Chelsea. Combine that with the fact that it was to the detriment of our of a player who I just said deserved a statue at the club. It, mm. it was. It was a perfect storm. The next season, uh, Mourinho returns. Rory calling himself the happy one. Um, after a mixed period, I'd say, uh, Real Madrid, a difficult period potentially for him. He was unrecognisable, wasn't he, when he came back? Yeah, I mean, what was your reaction to him coming back? Because he seemed, and he to this day, seems like a different man since... Yeah, since I, I agree. I think the happy one is nonsense. Um, I think that you can pretty much draw a line in the sand for, for Mourinho's character, and the line is pre- and post-Madrid. So the, the man who arrived at Stamford Bridge 10 years previously was this young, handsome, innovative, daring, exciting, difficult um, man who, who had the world at his feet and whose uh, tactics were, were pioneering and world ahead of his time. The man who came back to us post-Madrid was a slightly old, cynical, boring, uh, yeah, just a, a man who didn't didn't necessarily elicit love. He was... He was Hard work, and yeah, I mean, back. we didn't, we had, a, we didn't have a bad season. Uh, we got to the semi-final and should have probably done better. Semi-final of the Champions League, I think it was Diego Costa who knocked us out of it. Um, who knocked yeah. us out of the Champions League, and but then it was the next year. So that you know, he had, he had a year to bed in. 
and he we, we did pretty well um but it was nothing nothing to write home about and the following season he made some big signings you know we got Seth Fabregas in we got Diego Costa in and we won pretty much won the league at Canter you know we we shot off the traps really really quickly uh, Manchester City caught us up a little bit uh, due to <laughs> a lot of the time due to goals from Frank Lampard um, and uh, do you know what I can remember actually it was an awful moment Frank Lampard is, is my hero he's a man who who if I could have a cup of tea if I could invite anybody round to the flat in West Hampstead for a Dude, red tea, it's Frank Lampard yeah um, and I remember tra- I was travelling on a train to White Hart Lane to which it was on New Year's Day and I had this big banner that said, we won 6-1 at the lane. And I was terrified someone was going to spot it. You know, I'm on a, on a train to Bruce Grove or whatever. And I'm checking the scores. It was a late game. I'm checking the scores. And I think it was Southampton. Southampton were holding Manchester City. I thought, oh, fantastic, fantastic. This is such good news. If we you know, win this, we open up a gap. Um, they won 1-0. It was Frank Lampard. And just for one second, I was like, for God's sake, Frank. Um, it was... Yeah, Frank Lampard, Manchester City in touch. It was awful. Um, that night ended appallingly. Obviously, Harry Kane had a game of his life, and Greenland. yeah, yeah, and and we lost five three. But in true Mourinho fashion, we went on to win the league and then beat Tottenham in the Terry goal. So it all it all panned out, and Mourinho was back. Yeah, that, but I mean, that seemed to be uh, obviously, as you say, it was the, the, at the start of that season when Chelsea was so impressive. It sort of seemed to slow down in the new year. Sort of after that defeat to Spurs it, it, it never seemed to quite reach the heights it had at the start of the season I mean what do you make of the implosion the next season because it seemed to start there essentially it, it, I think it started um, I think there's a case for when you said it started but I would say that it started slightly later I think it started on the 1st of March when we, we beat Tottenham in the League Cup final and then really slowed down it really didn't we, we, did, we didn't play we didn't play well that year that calendar year I mean we didn't play well at all um, but after we won that League Cup, it was it was limping towards a trophy. You know, we knew we were going to win the league. We were confident we were going to win the league. We were getting the results. I think we beat Manchester United one nil. Um, at, at scored, and but it was it was a, a diabolical game. Really, really poor. Um, but we we were getting the results. You know, it was a terrible game. It was a game that we probably didn't well definitely didn't deserve to win, but we won it. We then beat Crystal Palace at home again, one nil. You know, I think this is telling the story, and won the league, and it was great. You know, I don't think when you're top of the league and when you've won a cup already, you don't necessarily realise quite how um, quite how poor things can be behind the scenes. And yeah, you know, as soon as as soon as Cesc Fabregas and Diego Costa stopped linking up so well, the uh, it was it became very apparent that there were problems. And then it was the first game of the following season. Uh, we played Swansea at home. Uh, the infamous Ava Carnero issue uh, became uh, became um, prominent. We drew the game two all. We then went away to Manchester City. Uh, we went away to Manchester City and lost three uh, nil. Mourinho had dropped John Terry from the starting lineup, which was unheard of, particularly when we were shipping goals. We couldn't get a win for love nor money. We ended up we beat West Brom, I think three two, fluked it. But it was it was bad. It was really bad, and it didn't improve for the entire season. It was it was awful. I mean, were you happy to see the back of Mourinho when he was finally uh, sacked? I certainly couldn't use those words. I'm never happy to see the back of Jose Mourinho simply because of I have to pay homage to everything that he did previously. 
you know, Mourinho, Mourinho turned the tales of and turned the fortune of Chelsea Football Club around, guided us to the first league. But trying to take it, trying to remove the emotion, trying to take it, you know, for the as the facts, there was a, there was a terrible, terrible day when we went away to West Ham. We went to West Ham. We lost two one. Mourinho got sent to the stands, and I think. Can you remember Tamar Hassan and Danny Dyer managed to get some sort of selfie? With him. <laughs> yes, yes. And and the bubbles were all blowing around, and it, it was you know I was at, I was at Upton Park that day, and it just felt so. It just became like a trudging, difficult life with Mourinho. We'd lost the game, comfortably lost the game, showed no real fight, and then you know, the headlines were all about Mourinho being sent off, being in these selfies with with Danny Dyer. And it just didn't improve. We then went to Stoke. We went to Stoke in the League Cup. Went to extra time and penalties and lost. And I was driving home. Like that's a, that's low, isn't it? And going out on penalties to Stoke, getting out of the Britannia at half eleven, and yeah, getting back into London about two thirty in the morning. It was just so grim, and the writing was on the wall. We could feel that it was going to happen, and. Well, with with hindsight, it wasn't the wrong it wasn't the wrong move, but it's it was it was painful to see someone who we love so much fall so low. Yeah, like we were in a relegation battle. There's no there's no two ways about it. There was constant people constantly saying, you know, Chelsea were never going to go down. We were never that bad, but we were seventeenth. Yeah, <laughs> we were seventeenth. We were seventeenth with ten games played. Like that is relegation. Obviously, uh, Gus Hiddink came in uh, to sort of help steady his ship, perhaps. Not the right decision. Um, it wasn't. It didn't seem to be massively popular among uh, Chelsea fans. But the club did end up finishing tenth. Obviously, uh, as you mentioned earlier, that is the worst defence of a Premier League title uh, in the Premier League's history. Although Leicester look like they're going to make their own yeah. bid for that this season. But it did seem to mark the end of a period where. Although there was that massive success in 2012 uh, with the Champions League, as you said, that sort of search search for any sort of long term stability seemed to be lurching from one manager to another essentially you know Mourinho coming in he was talking about how he was going to be there for a long time he wanted to build a dynasty at Chelsea uh, in his second spell there obviously didn't last very long but Antonio Conte coming in now um, do you think he is potentially the man to bring perhaps a, a longer term success a longer term spell to the club because I mean at the start of the season uh, there seem to be doubts over the squad and doubts over over whether Conte could turn it around, but he seems to have proved proven all of that wrong now. Yeah, well, what he's, what he's done with the players available really is really is brilliant. He's he's turned around a club like you say. We you know we finished tenth and it was limping to tenth as well. You know, it, we, it was draw after draw after draw under Gus Hiddink. Some of the most uninspiring football I've ever seen. It really was bad. And it was it was a pleasure for that season to end. You know, we got we got knocked out of of the Champions League by Paris Saint Germain in February, and I think slightly later that maybe March we got knocked out of the FA Cup by Everton. Our season was over by by early March, and it was just awful. It was just awful. You know, we still had a, we still had a role to play in the title race because we had that you know the game against Tottenham, and then we had the game against Leicester on the last day, which we thought our season. This is this is a new low. For, for me as a Chelsea fan, even even when I was going to the bridge in 1990, this is a new life. We we had our, our objectives, our objectives that season became two things. Like this is, you know, there were, there were 15 games left to play. Our objectives became beat Tottenham, lose to Leicester. 
it became that became our, our objective. Make sure that we do everything <laughs> we can to get a result to do effectively make sure Tottenham don't win the league. And that is for us. That's not what we want to be doing. You know, we we, we want to be winning leagues, not hoping you don't win a league. And yeah, it seems not, quite a turnaround for that to be the the be all and end all of. Chelsea yeah, it, it, and it really was. It really was to be one end all. And I think the celebrations at the the game when it finished two all when Eden Hazard scored that goal uh, will testify to that. I certainly never went more crazy for for a goal uh, last season than I did that one. I think that the, let's remember the, the result was two all. The, the way that we <laughs> greeted the final whistle um, the, we, on did. a very special occasion at Stamford Bridge, you play uh, their madness song one step beyond that, that that's played when you beat Manchester United 5-0 or when you beat your title rival late in February You're like that's when you play that we played it at all like that's how big the result was <laughs> to deny Spurs the league essentially or to confirm that, exactly, that, that's that how they were going to win yeah. um, I mean obviously we're coming up to that game uh, later on today I mean some people called last season the battle of the bridge but it was a kind of it, it, I think the animosity was staggering to be honest because I mean obviously Tottenham and Chelsea had never liked each other but that as you say last year it seemed like the power of blood went to another level completely I mean obviously going into this game Chelsea are on an incredible run I think it's six games uh, in a row they've won without conceding a single goal Spurs on the other hand form's been pretty patchy got a lucky win against West Ham last week I think it's fair to say uh, and you know a number of draws in there a number of injuries players out of form Still undefeated, Barad. Still undefeated in the league, which uh, is is the bright spot. But I mean, are you thinking this afternoon Chelsea are going to end that end that unbeaten run for Spurs? I do think it. Yeah, I do. I do think Chelsea are going to win, and I really, really hope we win. No result, no single result. If you take if you take a result with no context, you know, you put a result in a back, in a vacuum. No single victory this season will mean more to me than Chelsea beat. Tottenham. In fact, maybe one result will mean more to me, and that will be Chelsea beating Tottenham at White Hot Lane. But <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah, this is this is the one. I mean, this is the this is the one for Chelsea fans. Chelsea versus Tottenham. We sing we sing about Tottenham every single match. Chelsea have will we'll chant about William hating Tottenham and how much we hate Tottenham and how rubbish Tottenham are every single game. That Has it always have Chelsea have Spurs Chelsea fans always been at that that level of animosity or is that something that's grown recently do you think because for Spurs fans obviously they hate Chelsea but it's all about it's all about Arsenal for Spurs I think I think that the animosity may have grown a tiny bit I mean it's always been there I think it may have got slightly more spicy last year simply because of how brilliant Tottenham were Uh, and and the fear of Tottenham winning a league was was crippling like it was it was taking me over. I remember, you know, I'm not, I'm not one for, I'm, I'm not one for, for watching, like streaming Tottenham games. But you know, if, if Tottenham are playing and Chelsea aren't playing, I'll try and catch the highlights or, or whatever. You know, if if I'm at home in the evening, I'll probably watch some Netflix with with my fiance. Tot- Tottenham played Stoke last season, and I was like, that. I was like, Victoria, be quiet. I'm streaming a football match, and <laughs> I ended up having to. After about 15 minutes, Tottenham were three 0 up. I was like, sod this. I'm putting Netflix on. It's it awful. was completely, yeah, it was completely consuming. It was, it was completely consuming, and the fear that you were going to do it was up there. The other fear is we are, we are so like passionately proud of our astonishing record against you at Stamford Bridge. Like there were a whole sector of of Tottenham fans and Chelsea fans who will have never ever known. Tottenham win 
at Stamford Bridge in their lifetime. Ooh, that's yeah, how long. When, how long when Tottenham last won at Stamford Bridge, I was, I think I was two. The Premier League yeah. didn't exist. And Gary and Lineker got the winner, didn't he? Yes, and I think you sort of tweeted out that you know at that time. Uh, Antonio Conte was a 20-year-old uh, player yeah. playing in... Playing for his hometown club of Lecce. Yeah. yeah, that's how sort of long ago we're talking. Um, I'm not massively confident that Spurs are going to be able to to end that uh, run today, as I said, because of the form uh, that we're on. We've got a few key injuries. Toby Alderweireld's out. Uh, Danny Rose is suspended. So not massively confident. I mean, people are talking about this, though, Rory, as kind of uh, a potential acid test, not just for Spurs, but also for Chelsea. You've also got Manchester City uh, the week after. Because of this run, people are starting to talk about Chelsea as title contenders. For a lot of people now, they're actually title favourites because of the lack of European competition as well. I mean, do you think this season they are good enough to win the Premier League? We are in with a shout of winning the Premier League. We are going to rely on other teams dropping points we're not, we, you know we're not going to be the team to set the bar it's going to be can we think we, we're going to finish with x amount of points if everybody else finishes below that then we're going to win the league but we're not going to run away with it we're not i don't think we're quite good enough to do that current form is unbelievable though but for me fresh in the memory is you know it was only what was it six weeks ago that we went to arsenal and were so badly outplayed and with three nil down at half time and the week prior to that Liverpool really gave us a lesson at Stamford Bridge. So those two results, back-to-back results as well, are still very fresh in my, my memory. But since we've gone to this new system, we're playing three at the back. David Luiz is the best defender in the Premier League at the moment. Uh, his form has just been unbelievable. Adam, it's, it's so good. He's so, so good. <laughs> he's, he's ironed out the creases. Every time he gets the ball, if there's an element of danger, he whacked it into the stand. He really, really does, without, without any hesitation... Puts the ball out. You know that. You know when you're a kid and and your manager used to shout at if you. you if in doubt, kick it out. He he has adopted that and made it his mantra. Probably <laughs> got the tattoo. Um, but he's also doing two people's jobs. What he's doing is, and it makes Chelsea such a dangerous proposition. Is he defends as as valiantly as as John Terry. So he's doing John Terry's defensive work, but also he's adopted the role of Cesc Fabregas as chief creator. Mm. He is the majority of our attacks start. With David Luiz at the back, he's David Luiz is doing two people's jobs. He's doing Fabregas's job and John Terry's, and as a result, people can't mark him. Does the striker pick him up when he's picking the ball up in midfield and playing playing a, 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 an assist into into Pedro's feet, or is it meant to be the job of the midfielder, which then creates more space for the likes of Hazard or or Matic or whoever's there? It's it all stems from this this excellent form. Of course, I have to give honourable mention to the likes of Max Alonso and Victor Moses who have allowed this system to breathe yeah. Gary Cahill becoming a competent defender is something I never thought I'd see but, you know, <laughs> it's, it's great but I'm going to give the praise and, and the reason to David Luiz and since we've adopted this system we haven't conceded a goal and we have obviously haven't you know we've won every single game Does the one, is the one thing that worries you though I mean uh, I've said to you a few times it seems like Conte's got the perfect uh, the perfect system that all the jigsaw pieces seem to fit but if one player one element of it, it disappears through injury or, or lack of form or whatever is that the fear for you that maybe Chelsea will suffer depth. in that respect Definitely depth and I would say that's Tottenham's problem as well I think depth is an issue oh, yeah. I don't th- I don't think our depth is such an issue as as Tottenham's across the thing, because I would say that we are in... You've got to remember, Chelsea's two best defenders at the club currently aren't in the team. Kurt Zuma and John Terry currently aren't playing in the first team. So, you know, we have cover there. 
Uh, William, who was our best player last season, is currently not in the starting lineup. So we have cover there. John Obi Mikel would be an able deputy for the likes of Kante and Matic. He's not playing. The, the problem for me, and it's really, really does feel like a problem, and it's just a shame that because it's been, it's been something that we have had a chance to, to figure out and we haven't. What happens when Diego Costa gets injured? Like, you know, when we won the league, when we won the league under Mourinho, the reason that we won the league wasn't, it was, of course, Diego Costa's brilliance in front of goal and Diego Costa's phenomenal strike rate. But the, the reason that we actually won it was because when Costa was out, when Costa was off the boil, we had a player like Didier Drogba or Loic Remy to come in and nick you a goal. Yeah. They so come in. They, the those, boys, those boys are so valuable. They come in and they nick you five goals a season. And, and you know, they, those five goals are worth ten points or whatever. And that wins you the league. Mm. And I just don't think we've got that well, at the moment. Batshuayi yeah. is thought of highly, but, you know, I don't think he's going to lead the line the way that Costa can. Before we finish up then, uh, let's hear a score prediction for this game today, Rory. Uh, Chelsea, Tottenham, what are you saying? I'm saying Chelsea 4, Tottenham 0. Bloody hell. 4-0? Four 4-0. Nil. Four um, uh, I'm going to go for a score draw. I'm going to try and be optimistic. That's the best. Is that, is that, is that <laughs> I think that's the most we can hope for in this week. Spurs can't score at the moment. That. I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to go for a draw. We've that's, got, that's not optimism. <laughs> it is. That is literally as optimistic I'd be. Like, I mean, we said earlier, Spurs fans are pessimistic. They are pessimistic. I think, wow, I think Spurs fans are worried. Honestly, Spurs fans are, are worried about this one because... Uh, the past couple of seasons under Pochettino, we've had you know one of the best defenses in the league. Toby Alderweireld missing, Danny Rose missing. It's a very different. It's a very different system. It's a very different team uh, without those players. So not massively confident. Um, I'd love to to say we're going to go and win at Stamford Bridge for the first time in what twenty twenty six years, but uh, I don't think today is going to be the day. Unfortunately, so hopefully the best we can hope for, I think, is that score draw to end the winning run for Chelsea end their clean sheet run and you know uh, as you celebrated the draw at Stamford Bridge last year I mean, maybe we'll be doing the same this season I mean uh, who knows uh, Lawrence the outside perspective give me give me a little score prediction for this game uh, I'm going to go 2-1 I'm actually going to say 2-1 Spurs no oh. yeah wow that would be sensational I like your style <laughs> I like your style um, anyway guys uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to Rory Jennings um, about Chelsea, about his history of supporting the club. Hope you enjoyed this bonus podcast. Rory, thank you so much for coming on the front. Uh, it was first a joy. Years. It was um, a joy. Thank you so much. Where can the good people, where can the listeners, the whole find more of you uh, if they're that way inclined, which they definitely should be? Uh, come and say hello. Uh, I'm called Chelsea Rory on Twitter. Uh, drop us a line. Say Adam Bolt would send you. Yes, do. Um, guys, let us know what you made of the bonus pod. Do go and leave your reviews on iTunes. It helps people find the front free. You don't have to leave five stars, but I mean, that would be nice if you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, for now, though, uh, we'll see you on Monday. Bye, Lawrence. Bye, Adam. Bye, Rory. Oh. Bye, Adam. And bye to you, the listeners. Bye, Dave. Oh, oh he's not. Um, see you bye, on Monday, Chris. guys. 